Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breaths, heaving. Hello, another episode of That's So Random, a random movie podcast. I'm Heath Lambert. My guest this evening, on top of being the, the second Canadian I've ever had on the show, um, is with the probable exception of Brooks Benjamin, the only guest I've ever had who I know could beat my ass in a fight. <laughs> um, Lisa Jamino. Yes. Wrong anyway? No, I said no, it. No, you said it right. I write under the name of T.G. Shepard, just the initials, because I think it's funny when people don't realize I'm a woman. <laughs> um, this was a fortuitous. Our movie this episode is Clue from 1985, and it fucking mm. rules. It's a great movie. Which is a nice change, because I'm usually stuck talking about garbage. <laughs> um. It also means I think the episode would be a little different because usually it's it's easy to make fun of dumb stuff and we go through the, you know, very detailed through the plot. This one I'm kind of, I mean, we'll go through the plot a little bit, but not every beat. Because A, I want, there's some people who watch the movies along with the show, there's some who don't. I would urge you, before we spoil anything, if you have not seen Clue, it's on Amazon Prime, go watch it. Because it is awesome. Yeah, just stop now. It's only it's it's less than two hours. It's I'm on Amazon Prime. It's great. It's so much fun. Yeah. It's um, but also because it's good and because it's already funny, I'm not going to have a lot of funny things to say about it. We're kind of just gonna. No, it's mostly just going to be gushing. Quite frankly. Um, not a successful film when it came out. No. <laughs> and there's a number of reasons for that. It cost fifteen million was the budget. It made like fourteen point six, so it didn't. It wasn't a colossal bomb the way that I think people remember it was, but it certainly didn't make its money back even probably. So, no, I work in film production. I did for years, and what most people don't realize is the vast majority of films don't make any money. It's the ones that do make enough money that they fund everything else but the vast basically all of film production is just throwing spaghetti at a wall until you find something that sticks because the thing that sticks is going to fund everything else yeah i know kevin smith has always said that like i've never lost anyone money and that's why i still have a career yeah because even yeah. like mall rats that failed at the box office more than made a profit on home video once it found its audience so yes exactly as long as you don't you don't have to make 600 million dollars as long as you don't lose the studio money they'll keep giving you jobs <laughs> yeah and all studio budgets have can you hear the dog barking yeah a little bit but that happens okay he stopped now anyway um all studio budgets have the above and below the line stuff too whereas when they talk about something not making a profit in some cases that's uh, because of those inflations of stuff or like their money that they spent on themselves kind of thing um Making back almost fifteen million on this movie actually would, to me, be somebody was not unhappy about that. There was probably a producer on that. It was like, oh well, you know, it's okay. <laughs> like, and it's certainly found it's become a bit not hugely, but a bit of a cult classic in the intervening years. I have a very specific memory from my childhood of wanting to see this in the theater and looking in the newspaper at the movie time ads and seeing the if you want to see ending A. It's at this time's ending B. They actually have the three different endings of the movie. And when you watch it on Amazon, obviously they're all together. But when it came out in the theater, you had to pick which ending you wanted to see. And I think their big marketing plan was people are going to love this so much. They're going to pay to see it three times. And that yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> no, that was a failure. I actually saw it twice in the theater. I thought I'd seen it three times, but I hadn't. I hadn't seen the third ending in the theater. I'd seen the first two. And then I saw the third ending later when it was released on the movie channels. But when they released it on the movie channels, they also released it as three individual movies. Oh, wow. Initially. Yeah, initially. And I'm, I'm talking like Super Channel, which is what was called up here. Like the back when VCRs weighed 30, 50, 50 pounds, 
<laughs> you know, like that, the movie channels back then, right? You know, when you had a satellite dish, they still, they, when they released it, that's when I saw it. The third ending for the first time was when it was on the movie channels. And now you can see it where they just do all three, one after the other. Yeah, Which I actually them. might have been a good idea in the first place. That's what I probably would have done. <laughs> yeah, it definitely, it flows pretty well. I wound up not seeing it in the theater when I was a kid, but I did. It was definitely in the rotation at home on on VHS for sure. Um, I, something that I've always, I've never understood why they haven't, with Netflix and stuff, we've started to see a couple of the like, sort of like choose your own adventure movies, like mm-hmm. interactive, you know, the, the Black Mirror one did it and Kimmy Schmidt did it. But I've always thought, man, what am, especially once DVDs hit and you could have menus and you could have, you know, chapters and stuff, it should there wasn't a bigger market for like choose your own adventure movies. Like I know they wouldn't be cheap to make, but I'd watch that, man. At the time, there actually was an attempt at it, but at the time, the production costs just outweighed anything you were going to make on the month on the movie because you had to. It's 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 actors and lighting and everything. It's just like yeah, they did it pretty cheaply with this, but still, each ending is shot differently. So that's money and time that's days and days people it's it's funny i've gotten these arguments with people on twitter who don't understand how films are made they're like oh it was only like 10 seconds of screen time how long could that have taken to shoot that could have taken three days to shoot yeah (laughs) depending on what it is you know so yeah who was directed by a gentleman named jonathan lynn who went on to direct movies that people probably know better my cousin Vinny, the whole nine yards um nuns on the run which i guess they don't know better but <laughs> um so that was a theater too <laughs> so he had you know a, a pretty decent career uh when the credits start and it says story by john landis and you're like oh no but i suspect he was probably more of a like he was a studio guy the studio probably came to him and said look we're making a clue movie how do we break this story how do we how do we make a movie out of clue and he probably gave them the sort of the structure, but I don't think that he actually wrote the screenplay per se. Jonathan Lynn did that. So no, um, Jonathan, Jonathan Lynn and his partner were also responsible for the classic British sitcoms, Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister. Yeah, which were very clever and very and so it's like this is written by them. I'm sure what I, what Landis did was the logistics. Land, Landis did two things. He did the logistics of breaking the script down. And he got the people who he got this cast. This cast came in because of his name. Speaking of cat, the cast. Let's talk about the cast before we get into the actual plot and stuff. What a banger of a cast, man! Oh, just un- unstoppable. Like, like, if you're talking mid '80s comedy, this is all the people you want, basically. <laughs> yeah, Tim Tim Curry at the height of his powers. You know, when he was at his his absolute, you know, comedic uh, genius best. You know, I think this is the first thing that Lloyd did after Back to the Future, isn't it? Uh, it's 85, the same year, so... Uh, well, around the same one. time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely around the same time. Um, yeah. yeah, Tim Curry just pulling faces in this movie and do it like he has turned it up to 11 and it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, he's he's impeccable in every in almost every role he's ever taken. Which includes a meth head serial killer in Criminal Minds, which people don't seem to remember much. But um, yeah, and like, like you know, Eileen Brennan and you know, Leslie Ann Warren. <laughs> like this cast is just astonishing. Yeah, and uh, Martin Martin Mull, who I, I, he's been in tons of stuff. Most people probably know him as Roseanne's boss on the old Roseanne show, but. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Michael McKean. From Michael McKean, a genius in his own right, went on to do all of the, you know, Spinal Tap and other such movies. Yeah, all the Christopher Guest movies. He's on. Mm-hmm. Most recently, probably uh, Better Call Saul. Uh, right. He is actually a very good actor. The old brother, he is. Yeah. yeah, he's a very good actor. Um, one one of the trivia bits that I always liked was Lee Lee Vig, the guy who plays Mr. Body, is actually the lead singer of a punk band. I could see that actually. Yeah. At his face. He's the one person that you're well, I guess also the cook in a vet, but um yeah. he's the one sort of cast member you're like, Well, I don't know that guy. Has he even done anything else? 
Yeah, um, he was. Yeah, he was the lead singer or the front man for a hardcore punk band. <laughs> um, Leslie and Warren. For some, I, apparently, I only really know Leslie and Warren from this. Like, I had this image in my head all these years of like, oh yeah, she's in a ton of stuff. I know. But looking through her IMDb, I'm like, oh, well, not really. Like, she's been in a ton of stuff, but nothing I really know her from. So it's kind of just this, for me anyway. Yeah, she's um, she's one of those women that is, uh, she's a bit of a chameleon. So I think that people don't recognize her sometimes when you see her. You know, she looks very different in between roles, right? Like I know her from Victor Victoria and this and a few other things. It's okay. like she's yeah, yeah. I think I worked then, with her once. I think I worked with her on a, t- on a TV movie up here once, but I can't remember if it was her or not. Now, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eileen Brennan, I definitely only know from this. I know she's done. She's been in other stuff, but that she's very much a blind spot for me. Eileen Brennan, who will live forever with the flames and the snow. No, no, wrong one. Um, Miss Scarlet, Leslie Ann Warren, who will live forever as flames in the side of my face, woman. Oh no, no, I'm wrong. Well, that's Madeline Kahn. That's Madeline Kahn. Right. Sorry, my brain is. Oh yeah, live forever. The the late great Madeline Kahn who will live forever as you know flames in the side of my face, woman. In that gif that everyone uses. Yeah, it's a very famous gif now, and um, yeah. yeah, she's firing all. She's always great. And I had this, I and again, in my head, I had this thought that she only died a couple of years ago, but she died in 1999. She's been gone yeah. for a while. Yeah, she died, she, died, she died way too young, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these people have always worked, but they're, they haven't always, um, they're not, they were never, they were always like the, um, the character actors of their, they were the character actors of their generations. So they've worked consistently their entire lives until some of them have passed and some of them are still working and some of them are retired, but none of them were ever like the, other than Tim Curry, Tim Curry's kind of the biggest star in the movie, Tim Curry and Christopher Lloyd are kind of the biggest stars in the movie. So. At that time, for sure. Um, So great. Starting off great score, like a real, like really sets the tone and the mood of like a fun mystery. And it's like a, I don't know how to describe it, but it's, it's a really good score right off the bat. Everyone involved in this movie knew what they were making. They knew the movie they were making. Like, there was nobody who was unclear on the assignment. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Sure. And down, like, I'm, as I said, I work in film production, so I, I, I tend to notice, particularly on a second or a third watch of a film, I notice details. And I love things like the building is laid out the way the board game is laid out. The the squares on the floor are the same way the squares in the board game are. Like someone was really like, if we're going to make this, we're going to go all in and we're going to make this properly, you know? Which makes you wonder if they, I mean, I doubt they built this entire house, but oh. I mean, maybe they did. But oh, they did. No, this is a built set. Wow. 100%. Well, that's an impressive set then because I, I yeah. thought they just went and found this house that happened to, <laughs> you know? No, this is a, this is a built set. It's, um, it's too clean. Like it's too, um, it's too perfect to shoot in. It, 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 this is not a fully built set. They, they are the luckiest group of jerks on the face of the earth. <laughs> cause they, cause that, cause it, the, the actually the exterior shots of the building are matte paintings. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, no, I, I, I would, I would say this, this was a fully built set. If nothing else, definitely the hallway and the staircase is a fully built set. But I think it, yeah, I think it is because everything is wide enough for cameras. Like it's, it doesn't have any of the problems you have when you shoot in a house. There's no problems of like weird angles and weird lighting and, and things being, it's everything is the right size. Is it, you know, I, yeah, I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but as far as I, as I, everything I saw, I saw this, I'm like, this was a fully built set and it's, it's probably cost a lot of the money. Like yeah, honestly, this probably cost that, that $15 million went for sure. Yeah. Yeah, this probably cost a lot of money, yes. Well, let's get into... I'm not going to go beat by beat and every... I'm not going to attempt jokes that this movie does better. Like, just go watch it. Yeah, yeah. There's some of the great lines and stuff I'll talk about, but let's start getting into the story. It's New England in 1954, is what it tells us. And uh, Tim Curry's Wadsworth arrives at this... It's a dark and stormy night, arrives at the mansion... Um, there's some guard dogs outside. He 
meat to distract them so they don't tear him apart. But that tells you that, okay, this isn't his house. Like, they don't recognize him. So right off the bat, you know, something's going on. Yeah. Um, and while they're distracted eating, he shortens up their chain so that they're still there as, like, a threat, but they can't actually reach you if you're at the front door. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He goes inside. He's setting up for what there's a bunch of guests coming for a dinner party. Uh, we meet Yvette, who's played by Colleen Camp. Uh, very, like, the stereotype of the sexy French maid. <laughs> yeah, her, uh, her, her, her breasts probably should have gotten billing on screen, quite frankly. And a golden globe. Yeah, her, cle her cleavage deserved its own line in the, uh, in the cast scroll <laughs> but she's she's doing a really exaggerated but also funny and great french accent yes um there's also miss ho who's the cook not a huge part but important yeah um who's the first to arrive colonel mustard comes to the door well someone yeah. comes to the door who wadsworth refers to as colonel mustard and he's like that's not my name. He's like, no, no, here, that's your name. We're all going under aliases because this is a, mis a mystery and, you know, all of that. And, yeah, Colonel Mustard is Martin Mall. Then it's Mrs. White, who's Madeline Kahn, who recognizes the vet when she comes in. Like, they have yes, a contact moment. And Wadsworth even comments on it and says, oh, I see you know each other somehow. And they don't talk about how, but they don't seem to like each other very much. Yeah, there's a runner, a running joke that starts here. Um, a dog poop runner where Wadsworth, when he was dealing with the dogs, stepped in dog poop and kind of scraped it off. But didn't get it all on. Everyone who comes in the house sniffs the air and checks because they think it might be them. God, I remember thinking that was so funny when I was a kid. It's still pretty funny, but I remember when I was a kid thinking that was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Well, poop is the funniest thing when you're a kid. Yeah. Uh. There's Leslie and Warren's, Leslie and Warren's, Miss Scarlet. Her car has died a bit away from the house, and she gets picked up by Professor Plum, who's Christopher Lloyd, who gives her a ride to the house. They both realize in conversation that, like, oh, I'm going to this dinner party, and I got this mysterious letter from a stranger saying to come here. Oh, I got that letter, too. So... We're starting to get the bits and pieces of this jigsaw puzzle. Yes. It's it's a mystery to every... We know we're in a mystery. Everyone involved doesn't really know what's going on. You know, somebody's in control, but we don't know who it is. You know? Then there's Mrs. Peacock, who's Eileen Brennan, Mr. Green, who's Michael McKean. There's a great bit where there's so much... There's so many great one-liners and but also physical comedy because all of these are like great comedians mm -hmm. and uh when mr green comes in wadsworth talking to the dogs is like sit and mr green sits down and it just uh, it's such a dumb simple little joke but it makes me laugh yeah they um this movie is extremely well cast for where they what they need what they were characterizing everybody as because of, like McKeon can play that kind of physical comedy in just he's just so good at it that he made that small moment like very it's got a lot of character it's got a lot of like pizzazz and like energy to it it is a very funny moment I laughed again when I watched it last night seeing that moment yeah and Mr Green's a real nebbishy kind of nerdy. Oh, I don't know what I'm doing here. Everyone, leave me alone. You know. He's he's the uptight one, you know. Like if they have the there's like you know the the wanton woman, the repressed widow, the sort of crazy older woman. You know, he McKean's the the uptight government guy. You know, it's like they're they're all very simple archetypes, but these are such good actors that they're doing interesting things with them. What well, also you're making. There's a couple movies based on board games, which sounds like right off the bat a bad idea. This is a thousand percent the most successful one. Yep. As far as maybe not monetarily, but successful in execution. Because 
I mean, what else is there? Battleship, which is a joke. Like, yeah. <laughs> they keep threatening every couple of years. They keep threatening to make a Monopoly movie, which I cannot imagine. Even make a co- a cogent story out of that, but it would be interesting to make a story to make a movie about the story of how Monopoly was co-opted from what it originally was, which was a um, pro-communist um, <laughs> teaching tool uh, created by a woman. And it was stolen from her by a dude who made it into a pro-capitalist game. That would be an interesting movie. <laughs> yeah, the biopic about that woman making making that game would be way more interesting than like Jim Carrey is Monty Moneybanks or whatever the hell that guy's. What? Yeah, like you know, go watch Trading Places or something. Like they've pretty much made that movie already. <laughs> um, there's a great line where they're out. Um, as Scarlet and Plum pull up to the house and, like, lightning is striking behind the house, like it's, you know, dark and stormy night. And um, she says, why is the car stopped? And he says, it's frightened. And he says it so sincerely that it makes it, like, they're not making jokes, but they're making jokes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. This is a script where everyone inside of it cannot know they're in a comedy. Everyone inside this script does not know they're in a comedy. Yeah, and it wouldn't. But they're in a comedy. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't work if they did. It's yeah, it's tongue in cheek, and they're winking at the audience, but the characters aren't. The movie is, but the characters aren't. You know, mm-hmm. it's hard to explain. But uh, well, um, the the characters don't know they're in comedy, but the actors do. So yeah, it works out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So, just pretty much everybody has arrived. They're all sort of gathered. They're having some champagne. Um, Wadsworth or event one. Somebody rings the gong, and Mister Green like jumps and shoots his champagne all over Yvette, which is again, it's and it's it sounds like oh, I've seen that a million times, but there's such finely tuned comedic instruments these actors that it's so funny. Yes, it's a running gag too that he's just a cl- he's a klutz that he drops things and he throws things that you know, and it's great. Um, Mr. Body, B-O-D-D-Y, I wonder what's going to happen to him. <laughs> guest that hasn't shown up yet. They assumed he was the host, but Wazgrove tells them, no, he's just another guest. We don't know who the host is. That's part of the mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so they're all sitting down to eat, and more secrets start coming out, because Mr. Green knows Mrs. Peacock, because he works in Washington, she's married to a prominent politician, mm-hmm. um, and it comes out that they're all from Washington D.C. and they're all connected. A little bit. Professor Plum works for the World Health World Health Organization at the UN in family planning. Miss um, Scarlet is a powerful madam who like runs prostitution in Washington, D.C. And so she knows Colonel Mustard because he's been with some of her clients. Yvette is maybe, was one of her, like, everyone's, all these little interconnected, the spider web starts to come together for us a bit. Yeah. <clears throat> um, what does this note say? Oh. Yeah, so Mr. Body arrives and Everyone assumes he was the blackmailer, but he seems to be part of this, too. Um, he's like, oh, well, I'm not even going to... I want nothing to do with this and tries to leave. Wadsworth chases after him because Wadsworth has locked them in, locked the front door, and has the key on his person. Um, Body tries to run and escape through the, like, the, I don't know, the solarium or the greenhouse, whatever, the glass enclosed, but there's a Doberman outside barking at him, so he gives up. They're, um, yeah, what we find out is that they're all, they're all being blackmailed by this mysterious figure. They all have some dark secret. Um, Professor Plum slept with one of his patients. Miss uh, Peacock took bribes on her politician husband's behalf. Scarlet's a madam, like I said. Mrs. White is a black widow who has had three husbands die on her. It's five, isn't it? 
How many husbands have you had? It's five, I thought. Oh, yeah, maybe it is five. I think she's killed five husbands or something, yeah. They should be, see, that's when she has that line about the Kleenex. Oh, yeah. And the, uh, the last husband was decapitated and had his junk cut off. Yeah. He's never been busted for it, but the blackmailer knows that, like, must have proof or something that she has killed all these husbands. Um, Mustard. There's photos of Colonel Mustard. As Wadsworth says, in flagrante delecto, which was a phrase I loved when I was a kid, not kind of knowing what it meant, but not really necessarily. But um, in the act with one of Scarlet's prostitutes, um, Mr. Green is a homosexual, which that's 1954, so that's not going to cut it. And um, and here's the the body is the body says he is the black man. So um, in the other room, Yvette is re- what's happening in the dining room, recording all of this conversation at Wadsworth's guest. Um, and Wadsworth says he called the police. They're going to be here in 45 minutes, so we're going to work this out amongst ourselves before they get here to uh, presumably arrest Mr. Body. Mr. Body has a counteroffer, which is, I'm going to turn the lights off. Someone in this room kill Wadsworth for me, and then we'll all go about our business before the police get here and pretend none of this ever happened. Um... He then hands them, he has some game-accurate weapons. Yes, he has a bag that he left in the hall that he goes to retrieve, and it is a gift-wrapped box for each guest, and each one has one of the iconic weapons. The noose, pipe wrench, the lead pipe, revolver, dagger, so on and so on. Yeah. I think I like the wrench because it was so comic-accurate. I'm like, oh, that was really nice. (laughs) Um, so he turns the lights out, there's a bunch of thumps and groans, and a gunshot goes off, and the lights come back on, and Mr. Body is on the floor. What his injuries are, they can't figure out, but Plum checks his pulse and declares that he's dead. Someone fired the gun off, but he's, Plum, Plum had the revolver, but he says it wasn't him, he set it down, and, um, so someone took it but only grazed his ear, took out a vase on the wall. He doesn't have any other gunshot wounds. So now we have the body, you know, in the room mystery. The murder mystery has begun. Yeah. Um, Miss Peacock is screaming, and we get another, maybe it's not a running gag, but it comes up a couple times. <laughs> Mr. Green walks up and slaps her so hard in the face, and everybody looks at him like, what are you doing? And he says, I had to stop her screaming. Like, which Wadsworth does a pretty good impression of later on at the end. It's uh, Shades, Shades of Airplane is how I read it. The movie yeah. Airplane, that moment when everyone's like lining up to slap that one woman. A bit. Um, then a vet starts screaming from the other room, so they all run in there to see, oh God, is she getting killed now too? But no, she's just scared because she heard the gunshot and she heard... She's been in the recording. She heard that Mr. Body's dead, and now she's worried that she's going to be killed. So now they bring her with. Wadsworth reveals that he was Mr. Body's butler, and he sent the letters on Mr. Body's behalf to everyone. So he's involved in this, but he's been blackmailed, too, by Mr. Body. Um, Because his wife... Oh, he's, I think his, his wife kills herself because they're being blackmailed, I think. Yeah. he was. She has been associating with socialists. Oh, no. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Communism. It's a... Uh, communism. Yeah. Communism is a, is a red herring. Red herring, It's yeah. alive. We're going to hear a lot. Um, but she killed herself because she was being blackmailed as a socialist. So Wadsworth is invested in this as well not only ending the blackmail ring, but of, he's certainly pleased Mr. Body is dead. 
Um, and they start talking like, oh, who else is in the house? Oh, the cook, the cook, they shout. And they run to the kitchen. The cook's dead body with a dagger in the back falls out of the cabinet. Mr. Green has to catch it. So someone is systematically going through the house with no one when no one's looking and killing people. Um, and the cook's the first one. So they carry her body back to the lounge or the study or wherever they were. Mr. Body's body is gone. Miss Peacock runs down the hall freaking out. Finds Mr. Body's body. This time he's dead for sure. He, he has blood <laughs> on his head. So he's been killed twice now. <laughs> Wadsworth gathers up all the weapons, locks them up in a cabinet. And they're like, well, it's not fair that you have, if you're the killer, we can't have you having the only key to the cabinet that all the weapons are in. He's fine, I'll throw the key away. Come with me. And they run to the front door. And he's going to throw the key. Um, and there's a stranded motorist out in the rain on the doorstep. Who's like, can I use your phone? And there's a there's a great bit about, and it comes up again when the cop shows up about, yes, you can use the phone in the, oh, uh, no. There's a phone in the, nope. Because they have to think of which rooms there's dead bodies in <laughs> to yeah, send yeah. this man to. Um, so they let him in, they lock him in a room with the phone. Um, not suspicious at all. <laughs> And then, is it at this point that he actually goes and throws the key? Or maybe that's coming up, I'm not sure. But they make the... As anyone in a murder mystery or horror story knows, you're not supposed to do, which is split up. <laughs> but they at least pair off. Yeah. They pair off to search the house, because there's a killer somewhere in the house, we need to go find him, we don't know who else is here, really. Um... And they raise a good point of like, okay, but whoever's with the killer is going to get killed. And they're like, well, yeah, but then we'll know who the killer is. So you, we're all, you're all sacrificial lambs as long as we find out who the killer is. Um, I actually have the movie playing on the TV while we're talking. It's you know, on mute. And you really, when you're watching it on mute, you notice how great Michael McKeon's physical comedy is. This, he's just yeah. not missing. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, they're all great. Mm -hmm. So good. Um, while they're off searching, someone gathers up the evidence, the blackmail evidence, and the recording that Vet made, throws it in the fireplace to destroy it. And also, Richie, yeah, he, Wadsworth did throw the key out in the rain at this point because is wearing black gloves is bringing the evidence has the key now and gets all the weapons out of the we don't see who it is we just see their hands and retrieves all the weapons from the cabinet there's um the motors is on the phone behind him is a fireplace that spins secret passage style the killer comes in he's on the phone whoever he's talking to he's like it's weird i'm in this house with a bunch of people i guess they're having a party well, one of them is my old boss, which is weird. And then he gets clubbed in the back of the head. Yeah, anyone who's not a character from the game uh, is going to be a body count, basically, at this point. Yeah, but you don't know the first time you see it, are we going to start killing off people from the game, too? Yeah, exactly. No, they're all still standing come into the movie, but... You don't know that going into it the first time, so you really... There actually is, for a comedy, there actually is a level of suspense that works because you don't know who the killer is and who's actually on the chopping block or not. Yep. Um, Mustard and Scarlet have been paired off. They find the secret passages that are, as everyone knows from Clue, which they take through the spinning fireplace, find the motor's body. Um, and, but of course, they're locked in that room because Wazard's locked motor's in. And so there's a great bit. And this is something that I have quoted all of my life whenever it comes up. Not day to day, probably, but which is the let, let us out, let us out, let us in. Let yeah, in. let us in, yeah. <laughs> which is 
another great comedy bit. Um, Yvette from somewhere has picked up the pistol and runs because she all screaming and they can't get the door open because Wazra threw the key away. Um, comes running out into the hall with a pistol, trips, shoots the rope that's holding the chandelier, and then puts two in the door so they can get out. Um, which leads to another great physical comedy bit where Mustard is like, God, I can't take any more of this, and why and the chandelier rope is breaking above him and it's turning slowly and you don't know, and he steps just out of the way like a Looney Tune. And it falls behind him and shatters, and he almost has a heart attack and jumps. Because he's with me. <laughs> Sorry about that. No worries. Um, yeah, the chandelier, chandelier bit will come up again in one of the endings with a great freeze frame. Um, yeah, I, every time I like, I didn't see that at the time when I first saw it, I didn't know. But now every time I watch that, I'm like, oh man, that was a one, they had one shot at that. <laughs> like that, that's something you shoot on the last day because you're like, we got one shot at this, so we better make it work. <laughs> you know. Um. So, so they, so now they're free from the room that the bot- the motor's body was in. Yeah. There's a the doorbell rings again, so they all run to the. This, half of this movie is a group of people running back and forth through this lobby's the wrong word. It's in the hall, yeah, in the in that grand hall. Yeah, there, but it's hall. like the uh, it's in the in the style and manner of of all of the old great physical comedies of the era. You know, it never gets old. You would think it would no. get old, but it's always funny. No, um, it is it is truly a slapstick comedy masquerading as a murder mystery in many ways so they run to the door and it's a cop not it's just a solitary cop not the ones that wadsworth said he called um just because he saw some abandoned cars he saw miss scarlet's car and then the motorist car abandoned outside so he's come to check and make sure everybody's okay we again have the funny conversation of what room can he go to because now there's another room he can't go to with a body in it so they let him come in and use the phone because they don't want to raise his suspicions. They lock him in, which he's immediately like, whoa, you can't lock me in here. I'm an officer of the law. What are you doing? Um, but they just leave him locked in this room. Um, he goes to make his call and the phone rings. So he answers it. <laughs> and he tells them like, hey, why is Jagger Hoover calling your house? That's weird. Yep. Because the person he just spoke to on the phone was Jagger Hoover. Um, so at this point, he's he's starting to get suspicious. He's like, "Okay, there's a party going on here. What's? I'm going to take a look around." So they have to scramble and do a weekend at Bernie's, where they kind of pair off with. They have to sort of puppeteer the bodies <laughs> so that the cop can't find them. So they have one kind of behind the curtains pretending to make out with Colonel Mustard. They've got uh, the motorist. Well, Plum and Scarlet are pretending, well, not pretending, they're flat out making out on this couch while the motorist, they've made it look like he's passed out drunk. Um, somebody's making out with Mr. Body. <laughs> just, you know, and the cop's like, I don't know what you guys are so worried about. Just You're adults, you're just having a good time. It looks like fun. I don't know what you're so nervous about. Um, as at this point, Yvette is killed by the mystery killer in the black gloves, choked out with the uh, noose. The cop is killed as well with the lead pipe, I believe. Because he's yes. gone and used the phone and somebody sneaks in the secret passage and whacks him over the head. The lights go out, right? Well, the lights go out. The door, yeah, the lights go out. The front door swings open, and there's a singing telegram there. <laughs> because this is just Grand Central Station at this house tonight. Yeah. And from the shadows, someone shoots. Like She's like, ah, I'm your singing telegram. And she's just dead. Like, <laughs> eight seconds of screen time for this actress. 
Um, I remember that was. I remember that shocked me when it first happened. I remember seeing it like, "What the hell just happened?" Because <laughs> well, now you're introducing characters and just instantly killing them. Yeah, piling up, turning into a bloodbath in here. But you had to get the body count without killing off your principles. So yeah. this is the way to do it, I guess. Um, and now we have the parlor scene. So it's sort of a touring of the house parlor scene rather than just being in the parlor of Wadsworth. It's okay. It's time to explain everything. And he's, <laughs> it's such a simple, it shouldn't be this funny, but it is. He's running from room to room, expositing and speechifying and telling everyone, basically summing up the movie we've seen up to this point. And everyone's like, yeah, we know that. We were here. But he's running back and forth. So we we heard a vet scream, and they run to the... And everyone's following him, and we just see shots of them running up and down this hallway, and it's very manic and very... It's kind of camp and over the top, but it's so funny. I don't know. It's funnier because they're all playing along with them. It's funnier because at a certain point, while he's doing this, and they're all just... They start out kind of vaguely irritated. It feels like about... A couple minutes into it, they're like, "Oh, let's see what he's going to do next," you know. And they sort of follow along with him and like, "Oh, they want to see what you know." So it becomes almost this whole thing where like they become the audience for the movie in that moment. Yeah, none of them are ever like, "This is stupid." I know I'm going to sit here in the hallway and wait till you're done talking. Like everyone's, <laughs> "Where's he going next?" And they're chasing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they're doing all the things and opening the doors and you know all that stuff. Yeah, they're acting out like. Yeah, and Mr. Potty was on the floor, and he throws Mr. Green down to where Mr. Potty's <laughs> body was. Yeah, it's it's so good. It's so good. And it's in all of this that it's revealed that the cook and Yvette were Mr. Body's accomplices. This is Mr. Body's house, in fact. Um, the motorist was Colonel Mustard's driver. That's the boss he was referring to on the phone. Um, the cop was on the take by Scarlet because she's bribed him before to not bust her ladies of the night or whatever. And the singing telegram girl was the patient that Mr. Plum slept with that ruined his career. Yeah. Because he, before he worked for the World Health Organization, he was a psychoanalyst or something. Um, the doorbell rings again in the middle of this all this explaining and they go and it's sort of a door-to-door evangelist guy who's i didn't write down it's another actor you'll recognize it's howard hessman hessman yes thank you who was from wkrp in cincinnati wkrp and also there was a another sitcom he was on later where he played a teacher oh yeah head of the class head of the class yes so again another like comedy star of the 80s has just shown up in this movie and he's very you know oh have you heard the good word armageddon is coming and they're like whatever man and shut the door in his face we don't have time for this <laughs> like if ever there was a time to not do this why are you out on this dope rainy night why is everyone finding this house all of a sudden this house on a hill in the middle of a thunderstorm <laughs> yeah they should be more suspicious of that than they are i think yeah <laughs> um now we start revealing sort of the answers to everything. Yvette killed the cook and Mr. Body. And Scarlet killed everyone else. For reasons. Yeah, <laughs> lots of different reasons, yeah. Yeah, Scarlet's, for this ending anyway, Scarlet's the mastermind behind all of this. And, um... Mr. Green runs to open the door. The evangelist is there, but now he has a gun because he's FBI. And the FBI storms in and takes Scarlet. Well, there's a great, before that, there's a great, when Wadsworth is revealing who, because he's figured it out, he's like, okay, whoever has the pistol still, unturn out your pockets and your purses, and everyone does, but Scarlet's the one who has it. And that'll come up again in another ending. But, um, mm -hmm. So the FBI store man takes Scarlet into custody, and we get the communism is just a red herring line again. <laughs> um, that made me laugh every time. Still, every time somebody said that line, I laughed. 
Because it's 1954 by way of 1985, so it's a very, you know. Um, and then it says, that's how it could have happened, but here's a different way it could have happened. And now we have ending B, where and it picks up during Wadsworth run around the house explaining things. Um, and in this ending, Peacock killed everyone. And now Wadsworth works for J. Edgar Hoover. The call, phone call was for him. Yep. Yeah. So you're getting these different ifs and variations on what you've already seen. One thing I do like about that is though he's saying almost the same thing every time. They shot it, obviously. They shot each of these differently because the, the where he's standing changes what, you know, like what's behind him, where people, what people are doing change. And I, that would have done that partially for the actors so that they would have, you know, the cue that this is this different ending. But also it, it was nice because it, it didn't, it doing it where they just reused the same shots over and over again would have felt cheap. And this way it felt like they actually cared about each ending. Yeah, it's not the exact same Shots just, it's just like that one insert of who's got the gun, you know? Um, and then there's ending C. Well, it could have happened that way, but here's what really happens. So this is, I guess, the definitive canon ending, and it's kind of the best <laughs> ending. Yeah. Because um, it is weird that in the other two endings, it was always the women. Yes. Like, that feels... I know, like, the femme fatale at the time, you know, but it does feel a little weird that it's just <laughs> killing people. Uh, but ending C, they all did it. Everybody killed somebody, and it's done pretty well. Um, yeah, it was, the murder, it was the murder on the Orient Express ending. Very much. Yeah. Um, Plum killed Mr. Body, Peacock killed the cook, Colonel Mustard killed the motorist, Mrs. White killed Yvette, and here's where we get the so much the flames on the side of my face. It's one of the best comedic deliveries in the history of film. Yep. There's a reason it's a very popular gift. And Madeline Kahn is amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah. That that the immortality of that moment. It's just beautiful. And she yeah she killed Yvette because Yvette had been sleeping with her husband. Um, everyone has reasons for who they killed, but um, Scarlet killed the cop. Wadsworth shot the t singing, the singing telegram lady, and he is there is no Mister Body. He is Mister Body. He's the yes. one who set all this up. Mister Body was his butler. Wadsworth is the mastermind behind this. He's been blackmailing everyone. He probably made up the story about his wife. Um. works for the FBI. Mr. Green works for the FBI. Um, there's a shootout with, with Wadsworth with another great <laughs> comedic where he's like, oh, good shot, Green. And he falls down and then he looks at the blood on his hand and he says, very good. <laughs> um, and so all the other FBI rush in and arrest everybody except Mr. You know. Um, yeah, and Howard Hessman's like, who did it? He's like, they all did it, except for Mr. Body. I, I killed him in the, whatever, in the foyer with the revolver. Yes, the fam famous line, yeah. yeah. The famous solving of the game. And then he has maybe the best final line of any movie ever. And another <laughs> quote that I say a lot more often than I probably should, which is, now I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. Which is such a great delivery, especially since he'd been pretending to be, or at least the way he'd been pretending to be homosexual. Yeah. Or lied about being homosexual. It's just such a great, and then credits roll, shake, rattle, and roll. And he takes his glasses off and he's like doing the, the hero pose. I'm yeah. going to go home and sleep with my wife. <laughs> and it's such a great, and it's to the, it's a testament to Michael McKean, who the whole movie had been this nebbishy, clumsy yeah, plot. always, you know, that yeah. in that last second takes a turn and becomes this like heroic and sells that too. Like, oh, he's a much better actor than I think anyone's ever really um, 
considered or given him credit for. He's a very, very good actor. The guy can do almost anything, I think, quite frankly. He is. Um, and that's the movie. That's Clue. Probably go, not. Just go watch it. <laughs> yeah, just go watch it. It's probably This is probably my least funny episode ever, but just because we're just... I don't have joke. I'm not gonna joke about another movie's jokes. Like it's just, but I'm telling you, go watch it if you have never seen it. Cause it's, it's it's hard to be cleverly mean about something when it's genuinely good. <laughs> yeah, I definitely wouldn't be mean, but it's also no, just no. it's hard when it's already a comedy outside of just repeating the jokes that are already in the movie and done better than I would be able to do them. Yeah, I'm not gonna improve on this script. No. So yeah, um. But I, I don't mind because it's it's nice to get a movie that I actually and, and rare to get a movie that I actually love um, to get to talk about on here. How do you uh, how do you generate which movie? <laughs> I have a well. Speak of the devil. Um, it's that time of the episode anyway. Oh, cool. Where I uh, push the magic button to find out what my. Chosen completely at random from everything streaming movie will be for next week. Uh, it is. What is this? Storm swept. It appears to be. Let's see. It's on Amazon Prime from 1995. It appears to be either a cheap horror movie or softcore porn. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I will find I out how, next week. I think I know a book with that title. I'm trying to think of who wrote it. I don't um, know. What's it say? It sounds says, more On a stormy night in Louisiana, six people are haunted by the spirit of a demented slave master with an insatiable erotic appetite. As they say, oh, God! Mansion by a thunderstorm. Oh, I might watch that with you. <laughs> just, I, I, if it's on Amazon Prime, I might watch that too, just because that just that sounds horrible. <laughs> I mean, it's actually a similar setup to Clue. Six people yeah. are trapped by a storm, but I have a feeling there'll be way more breasts. Probably. There will be a lot more innuendo. <laughs> and, and and that being said, Clue is not, as I said, Yvette's cleavage should have its own screen credit. So it is not free of innuendo in any way. <laughs> no, there's definitely innuendo, but it's it's very much a PG movie. Oh, it's yeah. No, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, kind it's of wink, a wink. Family film. Yeah, it's wink, wink, nudge, nudge, innuendo. It's nothing. It's it's entirely like you could take your grandmother to see this movie and, and no one would ever have an issue with it because it's just kind of silly, silly, you know, haha, nudge, nudge, innuendo. Yeah, I it's it's like you said, I mean, it's really hard to improve on this script. Like everything about even every little like the way the sets are built, the way that the actors are acting, like just the way things are set up. It's it's a really you can see why this movie has gained a cult following. Right. Because when you watch it again, you're like, this is just really well made. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think people in 85 just weren't ready for it or they weren't ready to see see it. <laughs> just get all I, these things. Yeah, honestly, I think it was probably just a little bit ahead of its time. This would probably kill in the theaters now if you did the same thing. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want a remake though. No, me neither. Oh God, no. They were they they were gonna make a remake with Ryan Reynolds at one point. I'm like, no, no. Yeah, I, I love Ryan Reynolds, but no, thank you. I just don't. Yeah. I don't need it. It's perfect. It's borderline perfect the way it is. So. The, the no. problem is now is if anyone tried to remake this movie, they wouldn't. They would remake it where everyone on screen knew they were in a comedy. Like they would remake it so that it was like a like it was it wasn't like this is a movie where where as I said, none of the characters know they're in a comedy, but all the actors do. If anyone remake it, they they'd remake it so that everyone knew it was a comedy, and they were just punching at jokes constantly and trying to be edgy probably and making bad really bad offensive jokes because it was ed you know like. No, 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 no! Don't remake this one ever. Yeah, it would probably be super meta and like. I just, oh yeah. I, you can keep it. I don't need that. Yeah, whoever they cast in it, because they they get someone like Ryan Reynolds or somebody who's big. Would there be inside jokes about that character's other roles? You know, and I'm like, no, no. Yeah. Seth Rogen is Colonel Mustard. Yeah, it'd be like um, if so, it would be like watching Knives Out is actually the closest approximation of this movie. In some ways. 
Yeah, Clue, if you like Knives Out, Clue is funnier Knives Out. Yeah, Clue is Knives, Clue is Knives, yeah, Clue is Knives Out as a comedy, like a straight-up comedy, right? And um, and it's like, it would be like making Knives Out and then having somebody call Ransom Captain America. Yeah, I don't need that. It, yeah, I don't need that at all. So how, how would you, I don't know, how would you like to end this? <laughs> Uh, well, usually I will say, um, well, first, this this was pure kind of serendipity. I'm always trying to figure out who, okay, I know what my movie is for next week. Who's, you know, who do I want on as a guest? And it just so happened two days before I pressed the magic button last week and found out Clue was my next movie. You had been tweeted because we've been mutuals on Twitter for a long time. Yeah, I enjoy, uh, I really enjoy interacting with you there. So thank you. And you had replied to someone's tweet about something about how much you love Clue. And then I got Clue like two days later. So I was like, oh, well, no question. I know who to ask. It was yeah. right there. So that was a real gift dropped in my lap. Laugh that I didn't have to think too hard about who I wanted on the episode. I really, I really appreciate it because I really enjoyed it. It was, it was really enjoyable getting to watch this again. And I watched it with a friend and I come, you know, it's like, I forgot how good this movie was. Just like how everything, like the, the costumes are great. And it's just like, just how well made this is. I appreciate this on multiple levels now. I appreciated it as a comedy when I was younger. And now because I work in film, I appreciate all of the work I see on this screen. All of the time and the commitment and like the focus and like just how beautifully everything was crafted. So I appreciate the craft of this movie even more now, you know? Speaking of Twitter, where can people find you? Should you oh. wish to be found? Thank you. Yeah, mostly I, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. I'm TG Shepherd Van, and that's T, the letter T, letter G, S H E P H E R D, and that's the name that I write under. Um, my one novel is currently out of print because my publisher folded, but I'm working on some others. I have a blog that I do online, uh, it's at tgshepherd.com. And um, I went through all of the first John Wick movies, fight scenes, 30 seconds at a time. So that's the 30 seconds of Wick series. I've done a few for a couple different Marvel movies, fight scenes, and I'm going to be doing Atomic Blonde. I'm actually going to get my head down and start that tomorrow. Um, and other than that, if you find me on Twitter, I mostly yell about comic books and politics. <laughs> yeah, and you'll know her because no one on the face of this planet loves... The Marvel Mockingbird. character, Bobby Morse, Mockingbird. Mockingbird, more than you. Yes, she is. She is my, I have been trying to become her for my entire life. That's why I took up stick fighting. That's the thing I do is, oh yeah, I yell about comic books, fight scenes, actually fighting because I've been a martial artist for like 30 plus years and politics. So I became a stick fighter because of Bobby. She's my current avatar. She's often my avatar. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's something I was going to ask, was if if your love of Mockingbird was inspired by you already being a stick fighter or vice versa. So Other way around, yeah. Mockingbird and I are almost the same age. She came, she was, she was her first appearance was in 71, and I was born the next year. So I grew up, I found her through Captain America and Hawkeye, and I kind of grew up with her in the back of my head. And I, I honestly, genuinely, now that I'm older, realize that's probably why eventually when I gravitated to training seriously, why I picked stick fighting, which turned out to be good because it actually is my, um, my happy place is, is sticks. It's the one it's, I'm a good boxer. I'm a good wrestler. I am, I am a great stick fighter and that's not something I'll ever, you know, talk down. But at, uh, I do like, that's when this is why I love talking about fight scenes is because, to me, they're important way vehicles for character, but they're just, I, I, to me, they're just interesting. So I, I talk about them a lot. Um, my motto has become never let reality get in the way of a good fight scene. But I prefer fight scenes that are grounded in reality. So for me, it's the, it's the uh, combination of being able to ground something that is as ridiculous as a comic book fight scene or a movie fight scene in reality and how that plays into character and art. Because art. I am a writer, so I care about narrative arc and things like that. So, yeah, that's what it became for me. And it, it turned out to be just a series of events starting with, that character's really cool. I wonder if she'd look at And then it turned into me now in my 40s being like, heck yeah, I'm... Mockingbird forever. Mockingbird Nation, as I say. Yes. 
Well, now I know. Should I happen to randomly get a movie with uh, a lot of yeah, oh. good or bad fight scenes, I know who to call. You get any uh, martial arts movie or anything? I would love to do this again. I would love to talk. I would. I would love this to get a chance to talk about a movie where it wasn't just both of us going, "Oh my god, this is so great!" Because that's interesting. But there's also interest. There's there's a lot of interest in. Okay, that didn't work. Maybe that I see where they were going. But I, I would love to actually sit down. Like I said, if you wanted me on, I'd love to sit down and talk about why something that I am actually an expert in was like. Okay, that that was okay. That didn't work. So yeah, if it happens, please, uh, I'd love to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we know, I don't. I don't get to choose what. <laughs> yeah. When, when it'll happen eventually. There's a lot of them out there. Have to sooner or later. I've, yes. I've had four Christian movies somehow already, so I have to get a martial arts movie at some point. Oh, well, just that there are a lot of Christian movies, <laughs> I guess. That's true. And they go straight to streaming faster, I guess. That's you awesome. poor guy. Well, but this one was a winner. Clue is a winner. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Lisa, for coming on. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Great to... Uh, yeah, just praise something for a while instead of being snarky all the time. And um, that'll do it for me this week. Goodbye. Bye -bye. Thank you.